Pandaloon then. The sage had smiled faintly. If it were ever necessary, a spell exists to take one there. Both had been silent a moment. Then the sage had spoken, staring out over the forest. One may ask anything of Pandaloon, and Pandaloon will answer, provided that the seeker performs the service Pandaloon requires, and Pandaloon drives a hard bargain. Then the sage had shown Turgeon the spell in question, which he had discovered in an ancient portfolio and kept secret from all the world. Turgeon, remembering this conversation, descended to his study, a long, low hall with stone walls and a stone floor deadened by a thick, russet rug. The tomes which held Turgeon's sorcery lay on the long table of black steel or were thrust helter-skelter into shelves. These were volumes compiled by many wizards of the past, untidy folios collected by the sage, leather-bound librums, setting forth the syllables of a hundred powerful spells, so cogent that Turgeon's brain could know but four at a time. Turgeon found a musty portfolio, turned the heavy pages to the spell the sage had shown him, the call to the violent cloud. He stared down at the characters, and they burned with an urgent power, pressing off the page as if frantic to leave the dark solitude of the book. Turgeon closed the book, forcing the spell back into oblivion. He robed himself with a short blue cape, tucked a blade into his belt, fitted the amulet holding Lacadelle's rune to his wrist. Then he sat down, and from a journal chose the spells he would take with him. What dangers he might meet he could not know. So he selected three spells of general application, the excellent prismatic spray, Fandale's mantle of stealth, and the spell of the slow hour. He climbed the parapets of his castle and stood under the far stars, breathing the air of ancient earth. How many times had this air been breathed before him? What cries of pain had this air experienced? What sighs, laughs, war shouts, cries of exultation, gasps? The night was wearing on. A blue light wavered in the forest. Turgeon watched a moment, then at last squared himself and uttered the call to the violent cloud. All was quiet. Then came a whisper of movement, swelling to the roar of great winds, a wisp of white appeared and waxed to a pillar of boiling black smoke. A voice deep and harsh issued from the turbulence. At your disturbing power is this instrument come. Whence will you go? Four directions, then one, said Turgeon. Alive must I be brought to Embleyon. The cloud whirled down, far up and away he was snatched, flung head over heels into incalculable distance. Four directions was he thrust, then one, and at last a great blow hurled him from the cloud, sprawled him into Embleyon. Turgeon gained his feet and tottered a moment, half-dazed. His senses steadied. He looked about him. He stood on the bank of a limpid pool. Blue flowers grew about his ankles, and at his back reared a grove of tall blue-green trees, the leaves blurring on high into mist. Was Embleyon of earth? 
The trees were earth-like, the flowers were of familiar form, the air was of the same texture. But there was an odd lack to this land, and it was difficult to determine. Perhaps it came of the horizon's curious vagueness, perhaps from the blurring quality of the air, lucent and uncertain as water. Most strange, however, was the sky, a mesh of vast ripples and cross-ripples, and these refracted a thousand shafts of colored light, rays which in mid-air wove wondrous laces, rainbow nets, in all the jewel hues. So as Turgeon watched, there swept over him beams of claret, topaz, rich violet, radiant green. He now perceived that the colors of the flowers and the trees were but fleeting functions of the sky, for now the flowers were of salmon tint, and the trees a dreaming purple. The flowers deepened to copper, then with a suffusion of crimson, warmed through maroon to scarlet.